And so, we begin at the beginning. The only place to start, right? It's the beginning. Let me tell you, a week and a half of struggle I've had, maybe two even, of not wanting to let go of selfish pursuits. And I asked God, why should I? And then He showed me that verse 46, which is up on the screen. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? And I tried to argue with Him and tell Him that He was incorrect and pointing that verse out to me and that it was very painful for Him to say those things to me. When here I am, I preach every Sunday and I do all this work volunteer-wise through the week and God kept saying, well, what about the rest of your time? And I said, God, you know, you don't, let's, let's talk about something else, God. Not what I don't do, but what I actually do. And He didn't let it sit. And for a while, I was really struggling. But the question that kept coming to my mind is the question that might be coming to yours as well. Is why after six years have we not seen this place explode? Why? People say the messages are good, but there's something else that's not in place. And God began to show me what it was. Part of October 7th, you're going to hear what that was. Part of it was leadership, passiveness, letting things be what they are, not confronting situations. When, when members were hostile with one another, letting it sit rather than helping them reconcile or at least know that that's necessary. To be a scripturally based, biblically based church to help one another heal on a deeper level. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon about a woman who was pretty much homeless out there by Olive Garden um, in Paducah, begging on a regular basis. I had put on the social media, someone should go with me, then I'll go. I'll go talk to her. I said it, and I said it that Sunday morning, that I said that to appear as though I was willing and I would go begrudgingly if someone said yes. No one said yes, so I thought I was off the hook. Yet... I found myself needing to go to the south side Walmart. And I saw her standing out there as I drove up to Walmart. And I said, if she's still there afterward, Lord, okay. She was still standing there afterward. And I said, okay. I passed by her. I turned around. And I said, hey, Linda. Because that's what they said her name was on social media. And they were correct. That was her name. And I had a conversation with her. She was not rude. She called me Reverend John. I guess she saw my license plate or knew me from some other situation. I don't know. But we had a conversation. I said, what can I do to help and pray for you? And she said, my son fell. And the reason we're struggling so badly for the past few weeks is he's no longer working and we don't have an income. So I've been begging just to put a roof over our head, and we finally got a place to stay. We now have a home, and now we're working to get the electricity on it. Until he gets back on his feet, I have to keep coming out here to find a way just to survive. And I said, what can I do? She said, pray for my son. His name is Robert. And pray for me. I'm Linda. And I said, is there anything else I can do? She said, do you know of anybody who helps? For someone who's on pay-as-you-go electricity to help them turn it on. And I gave her some leads and she said, really, those folks might do that? And I said, they might. And she said, God bless you. 
She wasn't mean, rude, short. She was gracious. I don't know who they were talking about on social media, but that was not the woman I met. The woman I met was sincere about her problems and struggles. And thankful to God that she finally saved enough by begging to rent a trailer. Some of us would say, I don't want to live in a trailer. She was happy. She finally got a place, a roof. Listen to me. She got a roof over her head. People were complaining about this woman. She had no place to stay. She has no vehicle. They say she goes off in vehicles. She does. Those are people she begs rides from. They're not family. The only family she has is her son who's wounded. Folks don't know this because they don't take time to get to know one another. But I promise you, if we call Him Lord and we don't ask about people's history and care for them on their level before judging and criticizing, we're just as guilty as the worst hypocrite. I promise you, if I had approached her with an attitude of you need to stop doing this, she would look at me and say, oh, you're a pastor, you're in a church, I'll never go. I'll never go. But I didn't approach her that way. I said, hey Linda, how you doing? That was my first sentence. Oh, I did tell her we were praying for her. And I also told her she was famous on social media. Her response to that was absolutely priceless. She went, oh no. Oh, I can't believe it. Famous for that, huh? It was, it was absolutely precious, her, her, her thoughts and her attitude. And I say this not to say, oh, look at what I did. It's to look at what others did not do that said they believe in Jesus. Nobody else is engaged that way as far as I know. No one's supposed to, hey, I went and saw her, found out what she needs. Let's get a care fund or GoFundMe and let's get her help. I didn't see any of that. But I will say this. If we're not willing to engage, we better not be willing to criticize or complain or argue. Because until you engage and love at their level and understand them, you'll never know. Case in point, last week at the park, uh, our family was there and I was um, a little upset with one of my sons because he hadn't gotten a substantial job in quite some time. And he said, you just don't understand. And I said, I understand you don't have a job. <laughs> uh, a meaningful one and you're struggling and, and it seems bad. And finally, I said, you know, you're right, I don't understand. All I see is what I see. Tell me. And he told me his story, and I had no idea what was going on in his life. And all of a sudden, I saw a deeper struggle within him that he was frustrated, scared, and stuck, and he didn't know what to do about it, and everybody was condemning him, and they knew nothing about it. And I, and I talked to him about some options and what he could do, and what I could do to help. And he said, thank you. Why? Because we're so quick to take face value on everything and never realize what's beyond it. We see someone come down the street that may not uh, smell right or hadn't bathed in a few days and we think that they don't care or they, they're just not responsible. And we never say, hey, I don't know what's going on in your life, but would you like to talk about it? Would you engage with me in a conversation? But what I find is that we're so busy we don't have time to see people anymore. 
This is why people are leaving the church and not coming back. Because the church says they care, but they turn their back on someone they don't want to minister to. Not because God told them not to, but because they personally don't choose to. Nowhere in Scripture does it say loving another is optional. It doesn't say that. But what I found is that people will believe in a real God. They'll believe in a real Jesus and they will attend a real church, but they're sick and tired of fake ones. Ones that don't do what the Scripture says and love like they say they're supposed to and welcome all like they say they do. It is up to us as a church to check our hearts, to check our behaviors, to see if we individually or as a church are of the kind that say you're not a part of God's kingdom and we don't want a part of you. It happens here, just not as frequently as other places. But I will say this, folks don't do it when I'm standing there. They wait till I'm not there. What do they say? When the pastor's away, the, the church mice play. <laughs> I don't know if that's what they say, but it sounds good. Um, but the reason I bring all this up is because God convicted me that of the times that I have that are available, that I was using it for selfish pursuits. And I can almost guarantee that there's not a person in this room that can say, yeah, me too. And there's nothing wrong with saying me too. What is an issue is when you think it's okay to say me too and keep doing it. God has called us to a higher standard of love. Love is the higher standard. It's not who we choose to love, it's that we love. We forgive and love and embrace one another. But here I want to share with you a few things and the list for you is in the bulletin of some categories of belief of certain people about things. By the way, I believe that everybody in this room, one time or another, has pushed somebody away from church or away from God. And we may not have known it. Or we may have hurt someone and not been willing to admit it. Even here in the church building. Or outside in another way. And we need to own that and confess that before God and reconcile and say our apologies to let people know we love them. It's hard to do, but we need to do that. If we've ever bad-mouthed our church to anybody or our pastor, I'm talking about me or any other pastor, without offering helpful guidance to that pastor first, then you need to go and repent and to apologize, even though that person may have never have known you've done it. Why? Because this is called integrity. You didn't know it, but I did it. And I promise you, in several occasions, when I walked up to someone and I said, you know, I've been saying some things about you that weren't true, and I want you to know I was wrong, and I've gone to make correction. And do you know what their response was? Shock. Shock. They were shocked that I would come and tell them something they didn't know that I had done. 
But I came to them, and the next time I asked them something or a favor or a question, they knew they could trust me. Because I wasn't going to hide the darkness from them that I had exposed in myself, and therefore they could trust me with the light. And I'm not saying, oh, look how good I did, because there's been a bunch more that I haven't than I have. But God has shown me that the things that I do and the things that you do affect everybody around us. And we have a responsibility to ourselves and to God and to one another to understand why we do those things. And to know why we do what we do when we do it and not play it off to an excuse. So I want to share with you the three categories are there's a non-believer, a partial believer, I call them kind of fake believers, and true believers, or a real one. And there are several categories, uh, or ten beliefs, that I've kind of narrowed them down to. And we're going to cover a few of them this morning. And the first one is the Bible. Now, very simply, when you get to the belief that most lines up with yours, put an X out there to the right of that. That'll be a simple way to do that. So you'll know where you're at. And this isn't for you to show everybody and say, hey, look how messed up I am. How false of a believer I am. You don't have to brag like that. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Or to put all the X's on the right column and say, look how wonderful I am before you even hear what they are. Because in the long run scheme of things, I was pretty much middle column. Oh, no, it's not possible. You're a pastor. Well, let me get to these and you'll understand the difference. The first one I said is the Bible. Do you know what folks who are non-believers think about the Bible? They think it's a nice book of writings. Nice book, not necessary, not important. It's something that sells a lot, but only idiots would think it was true. That's what a non-believer thinks about the Bible. A partial believer, or a fake believer, or a wannabe believer, whatever you want to call it, a believer that hasn't quite transcended into full integrity of faith says this, yeah, it's good to read it. Got some good stuff in there. Helps me learn about Jesus and church and how to live life better. And I read it every now and then. Because, you know, I'm supposed to. A good idea. What does a real believer say? It's meat. Mm-hmm. This is meat. This is food. This is daily bread. Amen. Without this, I starve because it feeds my inner hunger and thirst for God. These words contain life. Jesus even said, You think these words contain life and are about me, and they do. This is life food. I want to digest it. I want to know it. I want to know it backward and forward. I can't live without it. I must say, it's hard for folks to get to that level if they really don't think it's important. 
It's not a matter of life or death or whether you read the Bible. It's much more important than that. It does not save you. It feeds you. It's good for instruction, wisdom, knowing, learning, setting forth your morality and gaining your connection of the wisdom of God. That's the Bible. I don't know where your X is, but I had mine in the middle. I'm learning to put it over to the right. And I'm getting there. I'm telling you mine so you're not ashamed of yours if yours are in the same place or, or similar. The second one, views of creation. <laughs> like we have to even guess what a non-believer thinks about creation. They say it's circumstantial. Mm-hmm. By chance. Coincidental. A bang. Nothing decided it wanted to be something and boom, there it was. This is what non-believers say. And try to explain it with science, but they can't because there's somehow something has to decide to be there to make something out of nothing. And they can't figure out how to do that without there being a divine influence. All, all of a sudden this thing happened. Well, what caused it? Nothing. Because if something caused it, they'd have to admit God. That's what a non-believer says. Evolution, you know, it all the, the 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 cells wanted to crawl off on the dry ground because they wanted to evolve. They knew for some reason that they weren't evolving in the water quick. I don't know how they explain it to themselves real well, but I promise you, it takes a lot more faith to believe that mess than it does to believe in the true reality of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, mess. I use that um, creation for for a partial believer. Uh, halfway believer. They go, you know, that science stuff sounds pretty good. You know, maybe there is some evolving and evolution, but maybe God did all this after. I'm not sure because people say the world's billions of years old and God, according to the Bible, is about 6,000 years old, so I just don't know. (laughs) Kind of wishy-washy. No stand on what they believe because they don't want to offend anybody. And they can't make up their mind because they weren't there. What's a true believer say? <laughs> I read the Bible. God alone did it intentionally. No matter how it got here, how long it's been here, God put it there and that's my decision because that's what God said and I trust Him. Don't have to wishy-wash in my mind about that. I know it's so now I'm not even looking for evidence to support it. I don't need evidence. Others need that. I trust Non-believers view of Jesus. <laughs> like you have to ask that one. You do. Because some of us in this room might have this belief that Jesus is not relevant. That He doesn't make a difference in the world today. That He might have lived a while ago and done some great things because He's historically a fact, but today He's not relevant. The world has moved on since then. After all, he believed in demons and stuff like that. And we know better than that. That's mental illness. That's kind of what a non-believer would say about Jesus. But a partial believer goes a little crazier in my mind. They know about Jesus. They even read the Bible, been to Sunday school, the church, and they can tell you all the stories about what he did on the cross and say that they believe that that's what he did for them. Oh, they know all about Him. 
They can tell you the stories of how they prayed a prayer and now they're going to be with Jesus forever because of what they did. <laughs> but I, I want to share something with you. You're never going to be with Jesus forever because of what you did. You're going to be there because of what He did. That He gave His life as a resurrection a payment. As a sacrifice. And He resurrected to bring life to all. And real believers don't think of Jesus as, uh, as somebody they know about. They say this. He's my Lord. He's my best friend. He's all I've got. Without Him, i got nothing. If I don't have Him in my life, I have nothing in my life. I love Him. I love Him and I can't know Him well enough. I want to know Him more every day. And it's sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Do you understand why a person on the outskirts looking at a church might think that a partial believer is going to be kind of hard to follow because they're not real consistent with what they say and what they do? Oh, I I believe in Jesus, but they don't act like they love Him. Demons believe in Jesus, okay? Even the demons are smart enough to believe Jesus is alive and well today. They believe it. And there are people who think that He isn't. That means the demons know more than they do. But what we do with it is we say, yeah, I know, but you know, one day, one day I'll do more. And I'm going to jump down to time. Not because we're out of it, but because I wanted to cover this this morning for you. Because this is the one that got me. The non-believer's view of time. You only live once. Live large. Experience all life has to offer. I want to know. I want to feel. I want to do. I want to be. I am what I am and I'm going to be all I can be and I'm going to experience the world. I'm going to love it and live it every day. Good passion. Doesn't do much. Good passion. Sounds kind of selfish, and it is. For a wannabe believer, sorry, for me, for most of my life, I'm going to use my time however I choose. Some of it for God, some of it for me, some of it to help others, some of it not. Pursue what I want, pursue some of what God wants but never ever 100% one way. How do you know if you're pursuing God with your time and your integrity? I'll tell you. If you're the same way alone as you are with others in the church, you got something. But if you're spending time alone or away from a view of other believers and you're one person there and a different person here, You're in that middle category at the best. You want to believe. You want to. Just can't quite get there for some reason. I was there not long ago. I wanted to, just couldn't quite get there. Kind of on the hump. Mm -hmm. Yes, I need to, but I don't know how, is what I kept telling God. You see, one of the things we forget. And I don't know if you considered this or not, but 
God knows our heart. And He knows our weaknesses. He knows where you're unable and the desires and your joys and your concerns. He made you. I know under the creation you might think that's a coincidental thing because you're more toward the middle. But truth be known, God made you. He fashioned you. He knows how you work. He knows what you struggle with. He knows how hard life can be for you and how areas where you make excuses and say it's hard. But I I want to put this out to you, okay? That a true believer with their time says what Ephesians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15 say. And maybe you've heard these verses and read them. But I think they're just poignant. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The days are evil. And if we go after our own pursuits and our own desires, that evil is lurking like a roaring lion looking to devour you. Redeeming the time simply means that you look at time like this. What can I be doing right now to please God? What can I be doing for the kingdom of God right now? Do I need to be taking care of myself physically right now so I have more energy for God? Or do I need to be doing something about the kingdom right now? What is the appropriate use of my time at this moment? Because at the end of the day, at the end of your life as well, you have to give an account to God of how you used your time. And a person who is a true believer wants God to look at it and say, you redeemed it. You used it for glory. Not for self-edification. For self-pleasure. For pursuing selfish interests that had nothing to do with God. Please understand, I'm not talking about rest and relaxation, which God tells us to do. I'm talking about when we waste all this time with stuff that doesn't matter. It doesn't make anybody or your own life better. I am thinking if you're like me, that for a long time that check mark was way over to the left. My time. Don't you say that? It's my time. I'm busy. You're not busy. You're occupied. Mm-hmm. Something's occupied your mind and your time. You're not busy. You're occupied. Your time is not your time when you belong to God. It's God's time. What are you doing with God's time? I don't have time. I don't know. I didn't check. Did God do I have time? I don't know if I have another day. It's not mine. It's God's gift. A real believer sees time as a gift from God and wants to give it back to Him. I wasn't doing that. That's why I set up office hours here because I said I wanted to be more present here. Now I'm putting feet to the words. Action with traction to help this church grow so you all can help and be a part of it and grab a hold 
at tonight's board meeting, we're going to talk about some things that are really important and really exciting. And I'd love to see everyone here. You know why? Because it's a way of saying this is my church and I love it. Amen. And I'm willing to do whatever God says I can do to help it grow. Five o'clock. Rosh Hashanah started with that. Ten days. Ten days to repent. To tell the part of you that feels like a failure that failure is not permanent. And failure is not a character defect. I'm going to say that another way. Just because you failed doesn't mean you are bad goods or faulty goods. Failure does not mean you're worthless. Failure says you're learning. It's not a permanent condition. Whenever something doesn't go right, you can say with God's help, I can. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength when I do it for His purposes. He's not going to help me mess things up, but He's going to help me build things up. So I'm asking you to take the next ten days to repent. To care. To love yourself, this church, God, Jesus, and other people with the very best effort you have. I promise you, Scripture says God will bless this church in ways we can't imagine if we do it. I'm tired of people looking at me and saying, I wish you were a real Christian. I'm tired of people looking at other believers and saying, I don't go to church because of that person. They're all hypocrites, liars. Let me tell you something. We all need mercy. Amen. And confession before God this morning is a call I believe He's put on our hearts to say, God, get me to real. I don't want to be fake. Fake won't make it. I want to be real. And so when we sing our closing hymn in just a moment, I invite you to come up to this altar and say, God, move me to the right side of the columns. Move me. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, Your Word is life and light. And we say that You are Lord and Jesus, but do we do what You say? Do we forgive? Do we resist the temptation to be bitter? Do we resist? Or do we continue to live like we never knew You? Hear the cry of my heart, Heavenly Father, this morning. Receive my repentance for putting other things ahead of you and wasting so much time. Help me today, each day, to live for you completely. And Heavenly Father, those who join up as a band of mighty warriors in the name of Jesus Christ would do the same this morning and come forward and say, I also rise up. This is my prayer, Heavenly Father. Receive it, I ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen.